Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, an idea to fix the GWAC problem for government and industry. First person I'd put on this case would be my old boss at GSA, Emily Murphy, right? I mean, I put a little group together to take a look at GWACs, right? Take a look at that piece of clear calling and all that's happened in the last 25 years and think about, are there three or four things that both government and industry can do to make these more effective? And a shift in IT for the Coast Guard. This will sound really funny coming from the CIO, but I want to get out of the commodity IT business. I want to lean on industry who is exceptionally well-versed at at delivering IT products and services. It's Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Army Cyber Command has a new commander today. Lieutenant General Maria Barrett relieved Lieutenant General Stephen Fogarty in a ceremony at Fort Gordon Tuesday. Her last assignment was commander of Army Network Enterprise Command. A chief statistician of the United States is on the job for the first time in two years. Karen Orvis started in the job at the Office of Management and Budget last week. The last chief statistician was Nancy Potok. She retired from government in January 2020. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Voting's open now for the best bosses in federal IT. You can vote for the best bosses till May 20th. And you can get a link to see the nominees and vote in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The National Institutes of Health's CIOSP4 contract is on hold again. The company Precise Federal Consulting has filed a new protest with the Government Accountability Office. Alan Thomas is Chief Operating Officer at IntelliBridge. He's former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. Alan, welcome. I owe folks that listen to this program an apology because I told them yesterday that the protests had all been dismissed. And now we get another one late yesterday afternoon. What does this mean? At what point, I guess, do you decide that this whole thing is not going well, and not only do we need to put it on hold, but we need to rethink it from the beginning. Welcome. Well, thank, thanks for having me. Yeah, no no sooner did you think you were done with this story, right? Then wait, just wait wait 24 hours. That's not, right. Not, 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 even, not even 24 hours. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see. I mean, obviously, you know, I haven't spoken to the company or the attorneys that, that filed the protest, but it was interesting to see that the protest was based on some communication that NITAC put out to clear up the last protests, which were partially upheld by GAO, right? So you feel like, man, they can never can never actually close close this thing out. Look, I think it's not surprising, you know, we, and we've talked about this before with these large GWACs, and you've seen it a little bit with Polaris as well from GSA, where you know companies feel like they're sort of egg, these these are existential moments for them, right? And if they don't, you know, if I don't get a seat at the table, then I'm going to be shut out of the business for you know se- several years, right? So it's not surprising the companies feel like they need to protest and they're going to really, you know, kind of really read all the re- read all the fine print. It does make me think a little bit about, you know, GWACs are 25 years old. It does make me think a little bit about, wait, is there something more systemic here? Is there something that government and industry could do together so that these vehicles could actually get out? Because there's real mission impact when these new vehicles don't get awarded. And we, you know, we, I won't sort of go on there, but right. But there are, there are, there is real mission impact to not getting these new vehicles awarded. No, I want to go there. That's exactly the the next place I wanted to go, which is what happens. I talked a bit, little bit about this earlier in the week with Terry Halverson, the former CIO at the Pentagon. 
what happens to the people who are trying to buy this stuff to do mission delivery when these vehicles are delayed, Alan? Well, so CISP is a great example, right? So CISP3 small is still uh, is still around, right? And you can order place orders off of it, I guess, through May 25th. Now, they're talking about extending that out for another year. They're going to have to, probably. Happen with CISP4, right? So originally, there were, what, 80, 100 some odd companies on CISP3. What's happening now is many agencies, when they're competing something on CISP3 small, they're asking for what's called a recertification at the task order level, meaning that the businesses that are on there that still hold the master contract have to recertify they're still small. Well, guess what? Most of the businesses that have been successful in that vehicle can't recertify. They're no longer small. Why? Because they want a bunch of work on the vehicle. So if you're an agency with a really important mission, let's say you're DHS, right? And you're modernizing some system that protects the country. All of a sudden, what you thought was a pool of, you know, 100, 100 vendors or so is, that, is a much smaller pool when you recertify, right? It might be 10 or 12. And guess what? Those are, those, are, those, those are vendors that are quite small. And in fact, if they win the work, it might you know, double the size of the company, which puts, which puts a lot of strain on a small business and creates execution risk. Execution risk is generally bad for government programs, right? So the, the, you know, not getting the new vehicle awarded with a new crop of smalls and much more competition, it's a problem for the government. I'm fascinated by your comment that GWACs are 25 years old. If when you were GSA, if you had an IT system that's 25 years old, people would be running around, going, oh, we have to replace that. We can't. That's a legacy system. We have to get rid of it. Are GWACs legacy systems that we should get rid of, Alan? I don't I don't think they're legacy systems, but I think, you know, I think they're it, it's in need of some some updating. Right. And it it would be interesting to me. I, I was joking with somebody the other day. I said, man, I you know, the first person I'd put on this case would be my old boss at GSA, Emily Murphy, right? I mean, I put a little group together to take a look at GWACs, right? Take a look at that piece of clear Cohen and all that's happened in the last 25 years and think about, are there three or four things that both government and industry can do to make these more effective? Cust- look, government customers like them. Industry likes GWACs, right? They've been effective in delivering good solutions for government, but like everything, they, you know, they're probably in need of some updating. What would you like to see updated if you were put in the job of doing that, running that little commission? Well, so I think, you know, we talked about protests, right? And that, that's, that's obviously a big issue and it's hold, holding up these, these GWACs. The government response to that has been this idea of, of creating on-ramps. So saying, look, if you don't get in the first round, there, there'll be a chance in another 18 months or so to, you know, to potentially get, get, on, the, get, get on the vehicle. I don't know... I don't that that doesn't seem satisfactory for industry, right? I mean, most people think, look, if you don't get in the first round, you're you're shut out, and that's you know that's trouble, right? Hey, there's no there's no guarantee down the line. So I think there, there there's got to be some way to address that, right? And also to address what I think is the balance that the government is struggling with, both on CSP4 and Polaris around how they're evaluating past performance. They want vendors, small vendors that can demonstrate great past performance, right? That's sort of part of qualifying for something like one of these GWACs that's considered tier three best in class, but they also want new vendors, right? New entrants in the marketplace that have new ideas that drive innovation that create competition. Obviously a lot of those players don't have the requisite past performance, right? So there, I think the government is, is struggling a little bit with how to, you know, kind of have its cake and eat it and eat it too. I'm not saying I have the, have the answer there, but I think sort of reconciling that and how, you know, how, how you want to go about implementing 
both requiring the past performance and bringing in the new innovative players. I think that, you know, that's something that an outside group could maybe, could maybe think through and put some real recommendations in uh, forward. Yeah. And it sounds important to me too, because separate, separate out the idea of CIOSP4. And I sympathize with folks at NITAC because these are thankless jobs that are really hard to do. And, and getting these solutions together, it's, I, I, recognize we're not just snapping our fingers and here's something and it's ready to go it strikes me that the more important thing here is to get to the root of the problem as you're trying to describe it because the same thing seemed to be happening over and over again and it's not just peculiar to NITAC your former agency struggling you mentioned Polaris and there are some others um and it's just it's hard for everybody yeah agreed I would say i I partially sympathize with NITAC, right? And the, and, and the reason I say that is from an industry standpoint, you know, they did not run the cleanest process here, mm. right? So there were a lot of fits and starts. There were a lot of amendments. They used a, uh, an automated system to gather the input from industry that was, uh, as my kids would say, glitchy, and that's probably being kind. Uh, and so I think, you know, there, there's the substantive arguments around the protest, and then there's just sort of how do you go about your business, right? And the cleaner and more buttoned up you are in terms of how you go about your business, I think you're, you know, you're, you're likely to get a little bit of a, a little bit of a break from from industry. The government certainly wouldn't give industry that kind of break in terms of responding to the proposal, right? They, they expect you to be buttoned up and have everything run a, run a really tight ship. Yeah, I think that you know there are some opportunities for improvement there from a NITAC perspective. All right. Um, does that maybe mean then that not everybody in the world should have a GWAC? All right. I know that's the third rail. And I, again, I mean no disrespect to the NITAC folks, but I, and I'm not picking on them in particular, but is it possible that there are too many of these things floating around? It, it, it is. I mean, there, there are a huge number, but if you think about sort of how important they are, what kind of spend they draw, what kind of scrutiny they draw, it's a it's a certainly a fair question to ask, right? Is should you know do 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 we have the right set of them and and uh, you know do do you kind of have the right people and skill sets to go out and execute them? Like you said, it's hard. There's there's a lot of scrutiny, um, but but you know if, if you're gonna run if you're gonna run one of these big important vehicles like this, yeah, you gotta you gotta kind of have the top the top acquisition folks actually doing the work. Because the reason I think of that is because I, it, nobody's ever described to me if there ever was a strategy where somebody said, well, we should have one here and we should have, and I get that there should be more than one. When I first came into the space a long time ago, I thought, well, I don't understand why there's any acquisition done outside of one organization because that's how you gain the efficiency that we all talked about through shared services and, uh, and, and all of that. I, I understand the, the desire for competition now, but... I don't, I've never gotten a sense that there was ever a strategy where we say, well, this is a logical place to have one. And this is also a logical place to have one. And then maybe over here, there's a third place that's a logical place to have one. That's not how we got to where we are, is it? It, 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 it isn't, right? I mean, there was, there, there, there were some, you know, I think there were some existing things, right, that sort of got, got codified. So yeah, that, you know, part of getting an outside group together to look at that might be to be a bit more intentional and deliberate about where you have certain things and why you, and, and why you have them. 
I'm sure Emily will be thrilled that you nominated her for that job. <laughs> I'm sure she'll love that idea. I haven't spoken to her about it. I just thought, hey, that, I, that's somebody I would say would be, would be great at that, right? Well, I won't disagree with that, but I, I just want, for the record, I want it to be known that you were the one that suggested her and not me. Alan, it's great to see you as always, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about the new CIOSP4 protest in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Never trust, always verify is the essence of zero trust. If you want to secure your organization, you need to verify more than just users. You also need to secure devices. Tanium can help you gain clarity and control across all endpoints to secure your perimeter. Visit tanium.com slash federal to learn more. A change is coming at the top of the Coast Guard's IT operation. Rear Admiral David Dermanalian, Assistant Commandant of the Coast Guard for C4IT CG6, is retiring. He's with me today on the Daily Scoop podcast. Admiral, welcome. Thanks for joining me. The easiest question first, when's your last day, sir? Francis, hey, it's my privilege to be here. My last day is the 13th of May, so it's coming up uh, fast and hard and uh, looking forward to running through the, uh, the ticker tape. After a 34-year career in the Guard, what do you think has changed the most about IT operations? One indicator I take is a comment you made recently, a laptop is to a Coastie as a rifle is to an infantryman in the Army. That's, um, I imagine, one of the great markers in your career as to where the Guard is tech-wise today. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I think we are inextricably, our success is inextricably linked to uh, information and the flow of information and you know, when I came on, uh, when I was commissioned in 1988, uh, I think we had one computer on board our, our ship out of Miami Beach, and, and it really wasn't connected to, um, to the internet. You know, we didn't have the internet on board. And so just the pace of uh, how we get information to Coast Guardsmen while they're performing their duties, a computer is absolutely essential to the vast majority of Coast Guardsmen, including those that are underway. What does that mean for those guardsmen that are underway as far as what you have to provide from them from HQ? Yeah, absolutely. So now there's, you know, the Coast Guard has a uh, modernization effort trying to really address making sea duty attractiveness uh, better. Um, and part of that is the expectation for modern Coast Guardsmen is that they can remain somewhat connected to their families and friends. Uh, they're out there conducting the king's business for sure, um, but just remaining uh, connected with a family while you are underway and and then uh, having the ability to have a video teleconference call maybe for a birthday or for a special occasion and wishing your loved ones being there at least for a few of those very special moments. I think uh, on a personal level, that's really important. Operationally, it's, it's absolutely critical. I like that term, sea duty attractiveness. I'm not sure I've heard that before. What's the implication for what that guardsman's doing underway when he or she is back on duty, when they're performing the operations wherever they may be? Absolutely. So underway time, you're, you're, you're busy all day long. And, and a lot of watch standers on board, they, they actually, what we call dog the watch. So they may be on watch from four in the morning to eight, in the morning, uh, and then they'll come back on uh, maybe at uh, uh, four o'clock in the afternoon to uh, to uh, eight in the evening, and then they they rotate that around so you're not on a you're not on a fixed schedule. So it really 
uh, messes with your, your sleep patterns. So, and when you're not on duty, you're, you're probably studying for advancements. You're probably doing some of the ship's maintenance. You're, so you're pretty doggone busy. And if you get a good six hours night's sleep, you're, uh, um, you're, you're resting well. And then, uh, and then, then you have your, your normal, uh, connection with the family. What is the implication of that lifestyle of that life cycle for what you have to provide for that guardsman on ship or on base or wherever they are? Absolutely. I think the expectation is that, Hey, this is 2022. We want to remain connected. If I want to uh, go and search uh, something on a personal level. If I want to go to my banking site, I want to be able to do that. If I, if I want to hit up social media or if I want to do professional development, right? So it's there to enable the, the Coast Guardsmen to uh, do their professional and their personal work. And there's a there's an expectation um, that we provide those services, fully understanding that we're pushing Coast Guard cutters uh, really across the globe now. And uh, so I, I think there's a, uh, there's a need and an expectation to remain fully connected. What's the security posture implication for that too? If you have guardsmen all over the world, as I've discussed with uh, some of your peers in the service, uh, I imagine that has generated an evolution in the way that you think about security. Absolutely. So all Coast Guardsmen get their basic uh, operations security training. So they know what they can and can't put in an email or a text or, you know, talking on a video, uh, video chat. So, you know, they're not going to compromise the mission of their unit if they're doing law enforcement or they're doing other sensitive operations. If they're part of the joint force, uh, a, a battle uh, carrier group, if they're, if they're deployed, um, they they get coached by their chief on board and their 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 executive officer on board uh, in terms of just re- constant reminders that hey, just be smart because our adversaries are aggressive and they're active. There are a lot of buzzwords that we talk about on this program, sir, about security, zero trust, and so on and so forth. Where is the guard in some of those efforts? How are you advancing some of the issues that are both peculiar to a military service that aren't common on, in a civilian operation and those that are also common across the entire government enterprise? Yeah, absolutely. Well, besides the fact that, you know, the, many of those mandates are being driven right out of the executive office of the president, National Security Council. So we're, we're absolutely uh, instantiating layers and layers. It's good in the sense that the Coast Guard does rely upon a lot of commercial services, like commercial satellite uh, connectivity. So having the ability to lock down information when it's at rest and transit and never trusting the inside, you know, with the zero trust um, and one of the phrases, you know, is, you know, you're always testing, you're always validating uh, users and making sure because you just can't build a moat deep enough, wide enough, uh, you know, castle wall high enough, uh, a determined adversary uh, will, will get in. And then you just got to make their life really hard. And those, those tools and techniques that Zero Trust brings, uh, the Coast Guard's on a journey. That's a, that's a multi-year effort. And we're putting dollars and people um, and hiring contract support to uh, to help us instantiate pieces of it as we as we continue to operate. What are the places that you think you have the greatest opportunity or have realized the greatest potential already to make that adversary's life really hard, as you say it? Yeah, I think the tools now that we have, you know, security, incident, event management, 
uh, tools, the, the ability to understand our cyber terrain. And my job as a CIO is, is to give Admiral Jay Van, now uh, the Coast Guard Cyber Commander, uh, the ability to see uh, and understand our cyber terrain. As a member of the of the military network, uh, the dot mil network, it's really as a, you know, my, my crew puts those tools in his operator's hands so they have more self-awareness, they have more automated alerts. And, and then when, when a bad day does happen and we do, uh, we do get indicators that an uh, adversary is in our network, we're able to hunt down, isolate, uh, and then push them out of the network with a much faster uh, OODA loop than we have ever uh, in the past. What's the transition look like as you retire and successor comes in? Um, what are you doing to prepare to hand off your portfolio to the person that will succeed you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, fortunately, uh, Rear Admiral Chris Bartz, um, he's much smarter, but not better looking than me. But uh, he's coming in from U.S. Cyber Command. So he's got a great uh, background. Uh, he's, he's operated one of our network uh, operations center out in uh, Kearneysville, uh, West Virginia. So he's steeped in IT. He's also an operator. Um, so he brings that operational ethos uh, to the CIO position as a career a aviator. So, and I think what I prepared most is I, I prepared him a, a great set of uh, senior leaders that he can lean on uh, and then help uh, get answers to hard questions that are coming, whether or not it's they're from external or our own internal hard questions. So he's got a great crew. Admiral Dermanalian, you referenced modernization earlier, sir, and it strikes me that, and that's another buzzword that we talk about on this program on an ongoing basis. What's the reality behind that buzzword at the Coast Guard? What are some of the efforts where modernization is most critical? Do you think not just what you're doing now, but what he will do moving forward and what future successors will do to keep the Coast Guard at, on the edge where you believe it needs to be? Absolutely. So, you know, from a personal level, we're in the middle of our largest uh, workstation or computer recapitalization. So to the individual Coast Guardsmen, we just at the end of September last year, we bought about 20,000 laptops, two in one devices, and we're rolling those out um, with the with the, the right security image uh, installed, which is substantial. Um, so on a personal level, uh, that's what modernization means to the average Coast is, hey, do I got a, a computer that's that's relatively recent that that performs? Forms well. Um, longer term, we are we are going to be leaning heavily on industry. Um, we've got we've got many large strategic contracts for IT services that are out on the street, and it's really not appropriate for me to talk too much about. But we, I want this will sound really funny coming from the CIO, but I want to get out of the commodity IT business. I want to lean on industry who is exceptionally well-versed at, at delivering IT products and services, asset management, visibility, uh, computers, just the blocking and tackling of, of mainstream IT. They do it well. I want, to, I want to secure that as a service. And so we got some contracts to do some of that. That might have sounded funny from a government CIO five or 10 years ago. More and more of your peers are saying that, though, sir. They don't want to be in the laptop business. They don't want to be in the cell phone business. They want to be in the mission delivery business business. What's that meant for somebody like you between the ears as you think about a different worldview, as you think about occupying the CIO job in a different way? You know, 10 years ago, that person was just responsible for my cell phone doesn't work. I can't get my email on my laptop right. And that's, a, it's a completely 180 degrees opposite 
situation for a CIO like yourself today, whether it's a military service or a civilian service, right? Absolutely. So I think the the bread and butter of, of CIOs going forward will be in those highly integrated uh, capabilities, those information systems that have tactical sensors that are brought back that are integrated. If you think about a Coast Guard cutter, you got radars, you got AIS transponders, you've got got radios, you've got networks, you bring them all back in. You just don't go down the street, you know, to your IT store and buy that integrated capability. So I think that's where, and and that's some complex stuff. Um, But the endpoints and some of the commodity, uh, the commodities, we we don't want to think too much about because those are distractors at that point. And so I think the the bread and butter of, of CIOs going forward are, w- would be those mission enabling integrated systems so that they they actually, because if you're not careful, you can build yourself quite a, quite a hefty bill um, and not deliver the capabilities your operators are expecting. Well, and the other military services are learning what it sounds like the Guard has learned too, which is that CIO and his or her operation can be valuable in that that mission critical technology delivery where for a long time that wasn't the case. The CIO really, even in the military services really was just the Blackberry person. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's the, you know, the, the big point that I want I am a member, a very proud member of the mission support community within the Coast Guard mission support, you know, matters to deliver information. So the Coast Guard, succeeds because we're able to deliver reliable information on time to the right person at the right security level. And, and, and that's all, that's all C5, what we call C5I. That's all the IT underpinnings that, you know, let's face it. I like to be a nerd on some of this stuff. I like to be a business uh, a partner as well, because at the end of the day, I am a Coast Guard officer. I understand our mission, but I, I like the technology that underpins that. And, and I think that's where we're committed to, to providing. What do you think is the most important thing that your successor and his successor and so on can do to continue that momentum? Because that's been difficult, I think less so in the, the military organizations than in civilian organizations, but that momentum continuing, what do you think will drive that, sir? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you three things. One is, you know, our continuing uh, pressure or, or, or commitment to our technology revolution. So we've got, we've got now seven lines of effort um, that will just, will we'll, we'll continue to move forward, starting with what we've already talked about, cutter connectivity, the, the IT infrastructure. We need to do this blocking attack and continuing. And oh, by the way, it, it really is an infinite game. Um, so that just, we have lines of effort. We got good strategies. We just need to stick with those. Second is making sure we're doing the, the government hard headquarters work of, you know, we're out planning four or five years in advance to make sure we have the right dollars and, and people to actually move forward. And then finally, man, we got to take care of our workforce. Um, and our, our workforce is what makes uh, IT run. And, you know, they're in, they're in high demand. So if you're a cyber person, if you're an IT guru, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You can get employment, you know, and you can get paid a pretty penny, but you don't get the Coast Guard missions that come with you. And we, you know, no one can empower a, a person like the Coast Guard, whether or not you're an E4, a third class petty officer, or you're a, a O3 lieutenant, we're, we're going we're gonna to put you in a position where you can make a difference. And I think that's what makes the Coast Guard special. What is the state of your IT workforce in particular right now, Admiral? So we've got a mix. 
Um, so we have active duty officers, active duty reservists. We have a, a great uh, foundation of, of civil servants uh, under the uh, occupation code 2210s. We also rely on our industry partners to to bring that. Hey, you know, if I'm doing uh, zero trust, I need I need a government person, you know, a few that really understands the in and out. But the deep bench, the deep bench will come from industry, and I, I'm glad to hire that. Um, so it's a it's a hybrid of of all those uh, that we can bring forward. And if I need to surge, the place to surge is through contracting. I don't just surge a civil servant with 15 years experience or a military person with, you know, a, a chief petty officer who's got 15 years of service. I don't just create that. It takes me uh, 15 years. <laughs> Admiral Schultz told me at Sea uh, Airspace a couple of weeks ago that the overall force is still recovering nicely from the shutdown a couple of years ago, but still recovering. What's the kind of, I guess, the condition or, or worldview of your workforce? Uh, obviously committed to the Coast Guard mission. I don't think anybody questions that, but I wonder what that rebound has been like uh, for your IT yeah. workforce, sir. It's it's tough right now, and, and I wouldn't be sugarcoating it. Uh, if At the end of the day, we've got to not only attract, but retain and you retain by showing value. You're showing commitment to those those people through training, through putting them on meaningful missions, to you know eliminating unnecessary bureaucracy, um, and then empowering them. So I think the that you know, and that's a that's a that's a, that's also a, a forever uh, investment. When you when you think about you know a an active duty service member, um, they don't have to stay to 20 years to take some of their pension with them. They can leave at year eight and, and take a portion of that. So we're in competition across the globe and and in clearly within the nation for talent. And uh, I, I think that's the, uh, the special sauce is our mission. Uh, and if we can tell that story right and, and empower our folks to say, hey, at 19 or 20, I can do things that I couldn't do if I, if I went to work for another uh, industry. What tools do you need or would you like to have, I guess, to be able to keep the folks that you really want to keep in the service? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got um, Task Force Nautilus is basically trying to rebuild our our ability to uh, leverage low-code, no-code environments. So, you know, as we stand that up, and it's, it's a journey here. So over this next year, having the ability to uh, have Coast Guardsmen using low-code, zero-code, you know, no code environments on hybrid cloud platforms. I think that's pretty cool stuff. If you're uh, if you're uh, if you're into technology, and that you get, for example, if you get a recruiter and you're de- developing a recruiter app, you need a recruiter in the room as part of the team, and then you 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 instantiate a uh, a Scrum cycle and you know, through agile development, and you you actually produce products on a on a weekly basis, small enhancements, incremental enhancements. So that's that's a big part of what we're trying to do through Task Force Nautilus. Sir, there's a lot more I'd love to cover. We're almost out of time. What are you most proud of as you uh, transition out of the service? I'm I'm incredibly proud of our workforce, and through the COVID uh, challenges, we um, we rose to the occasion. So before that time, we did not have a a widely accessible uh, remote work option for uh, 40,000 Coast Guardsmen. Well, today we do. And we've surged networks. We've built in redundancy. We we took 
advantage of that crisis. That sounds bad, but we took advantage of the crisis to to build the capability the Coast Guard needs to be Semper Paratus and, and to be that first responder when the nation needs us to be. Sir, congratulations on your service. Thank you very much for joining me today and uh, enjoy your retirement. You've earned it, sir. Thank you, Mr. Rose. Have a great day. You can read more about the Coast Guard's IT posture in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the Daily Scoop Podcast. This show is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put it together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back tomorrow afternoon. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.